My name is Mike, 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 Dark, 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 Dark. And I am Richard Wag, Wag, Wagner. We're back. This is it. Another edition of Radio Waves. My name is Mike Stark. With Richard Wagoner. And this week, as we do some weeks, is a history lesson. And I love when Richard gives us a history lesson. And we're going to talk about uh, a big anniversary for two major AM radio stations here in town. And then one of those stations also has a second dairy anniversary. Right. We'll talk about that later. Lay it out for us. Well, two stations are celebrating 100 years on the air. Now, we've already had KNX celebrating 100 years a few months ago, when you think about it. But KFI and KHJ both turned 100 in April. I was actually a little bit late getting this in just because of all the other things that were happening. But when you think about it, April 13th was the first broadcast day of KHJ. They weren't on 930 at the at the time because of the difference in the way they did the frequencies and the shared frequencies and things like that. And uh, KFI went on the air April 16th, 1922. Mm. Uh, those are big deals. So you kind of wonder, how come you don't hear about it on the air? True, true. And that's it's passed already yeah. because uh, we're in the May now, but... They didn't mention anything about it? Not that I ever heard. They could, I mean, it is their 100th year now. They could actually uh, make a big deal about it still. It's not like it's gone away, but that's a big milestone. Celebrating 100 years of broadcast service to Southern California, KFI. <laughs> Why aren't they doing that? So why don't you uh, lay out sort of how, this is not only a history of these two stations, but how radio worked back then, because it's a completely different situation with you know how things are programmed and so on and so forth give us some of the details of what what it would be like to tune in to either of these stations a hundred years ago well, and, and the funny thing is you would have tuned into the same frequency when they first began because they were sharing the same frequency i forget what it was something like 835 or something like that and uh and they would they would share the the frequency but go on at different times of the day using their own independent transmitters wow that's amazing weird. yeah so you know they were all tuned to that and they the the first night for khj was the they called it the dedicatory program so they played the star spangled banner they had a choral group they had 10 minutes of fun they had solos they had bedtime stories with this little 50 watt transmitter which is, wow. you know, with the lack of electrical interference, they were supposedly heard. Both stations were supposedly heard quite far away. One rumor is that they made it all the way across the United States. I have a hard time believing that, but I, I do know that it, it did go quite far. KFI's first broadcast was very similar where they, you know, they played special music. They had a, um, I'm trying to remember what the actual thing was because KFI's is harder to find. KHJ's was actually in the newspapers. KFI's was not. They had, a, I believe it was an Easter Sunday service that was from 11 to 12, uh, 11 a.m. to 12 noon, again, using a 50-watt transmitter. So it was a, a Easter service and special music is what their first broadcast was described as. Wow, wow. And one of the things I didn't realize, I always thought that the call letters were a big deal. Not that 
you know, people always think that KFI and KHJ actually stood for something. You know, it did later when you did kindness, happiness, and joy and the KFI, K farm information and things like that. But that actually was just a random assignment. You, you basically took call letters that meant nothing and made something out of them rather than the okay. other way around since they were randomly assigned. What I didn't realize, though, was the call letters weren't necessarily even used on the air back then. Like, like KHJ was the Times radio, uh, what do they call it, the radio phonograph station or something like that, or radio, radio telephone station is what they called it. And because they were owned by the LA Times, they were the Times station. They didn't have to do IDs at the top of the they, hour? They might have had to do it for a sign-on, sign-off, but it wasn't like the days later on when they were truly known as those stations. Right. Um, and, you know, in the early days of broadcasting, they were primarily made to sell something. Like right. KHJ's big thing was subscriptions for the LA Times. KFI's big things, uh, that was to buy Packards. And the owner was Earl C. Anthony, who was the, not only a local Packard automobile dealer, he was the West Coast distributor for Packard automobiles. Wow. So that was the big thing for them. But I didn't even realize KHJ was essentially non-commercial for the first um, first few years until they were until they were sold to, um, to the second owner. So that's kind of interesting, too. So totally different. You're right. Totally different broadcasting back then. Now, any idea when, uh, it isn't in your article, but any idea when uh, KFI went to 50,000 watts? That was somewhere around uh, 1931. Okay. They were 5,000 watts by 1927. By 1931, they were the first 50,000-watt clear channel radio station in the, in the western United States. And that was when you could hear it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you could hear them easily in Hawaii, across the United States. Back then, you know, there there really wasn't anything to stop them, especially at night with the atmosphere sending it back down. And there just wasn't a lot of interference to absorb the signal. Yeah. Okay. So the other anniversary that we want to hit on quickly is the anniversary that took place at KHJ. Yes. In April of 1965. Yes. And that one is fitting to have now because... It was supposed to happen May 5th, and as oh. you know, it didn't. That was the time when KFWB uh, got wind of the um, of the changeover when a couple of the news guys from KHJ who thought they were going to get fired went over to KFWB and got jobs by basically giving away the secrets of things they knew. So all of a sudden, uh, I think it was Robert W. Morgan was listening as an hey, uh, you know, we're... We're hearing Boss Radio over on KFWB. What's up with that? So they tuned in and realized, oh, yeah, someone stole their their secrets. So they they quickly decided to go on the air. They went to Don Steele and said, hey, do you think you could go on today? And I believe that was the 27th of April, if I recall. And he goes, sure. So they're all set. One problem. They didn't have any music. Oh, great. <laughs> so they had to go get the music ready. And uh, they used a KRLA hit list, which I guess KRLA at the time being a little more hip than KFWB was. They went and uh, went over to Wallach's Music City, bought the top 40 from uh, from their list, stuck it on the air at 3 o'clock on the 27th of April, and the rest is history. But you can hear differences when you go on with that sneak preview. Uh, and even the first year, 
of KHD, even though they did so well with it, there's a big change from the first year to the second year. And it took about two, three years to get really on the groove and you could see how they solidified their sound. It's a lot different in the first first few months, especially. And of course, at the helm of programming that station was uh, the late, great Ron Jacobs. Yes, Ron Jacobs, uh, Gene Chenault, and um, Bill Drake. Yep. All, yep. all controlling it all. And actually, and I, I got a, an email from her today. Uh, Betty Brenneman was the uh, music director, and she was the unsung hero of the sound, especially of the early days, because she was in charge of getting that music on the air. And we really can't forget even uh, station manager Ken Devaney, who was uh, very instrumental in the sound because he was one of the guys that truly supported what they were doing and didn't try to push for more commercials and things like that. He he let those guys run wild and they they let the programming department program. And more and more of the air checks from those days are available on Mixcloud and YouTube and SoundCloud yeah. and all of the all of the uh, streaming services. So you need to check it out if you if you're not familiar with what the radio sounded like in 1965 and the best of the radio. Yeah, and, and it's a real comparison. Not, I mean, KHD gets the credit because they were the biggest. The the sound had already started evolving from from some of the same people that helped get KHD on the air. But when you compare, especially KFWB, the sound of KFWB and uh, and the sound of Carolay, a little bit less striking of a difference. But when KHJ went on the air and they just got rid of the clutter, everything was fast moving. The jingles were fast. The music came on fast. The DJs talked over the intro. You didn't have a lot of DJ chatter that wasn't over the record. Some people didn't like that. But it sure made for a fast-paced sound, and the difference between especially the early 60s, late 50s KFWB, early 60s KRLA, mid-60s KHJ, it is a huge difference. Yeah, KFWB had a lot of long jingles, sometimes a minute long. KHJ's jingles were three or four or five seconds long. Yeah. And as you pointed out, it was a fast-paced operation and ron jacobs his his philosophy about that and the jocks have talked about this over the years is that if you came in and you had a bad day and you weren't feeling up to par if you stuck to this format it wouldn't matter right because the pace would continue to be fast paced and and even if you were having a, a bad day it still came across you know as a fast moving Operation. So that was part of the secret of Absolutely. KHJ. Yeah. And, and in a weird way, it also helped create the East Coast, West Coast different difference in radio. Because even though Boss Radio spread around and did make it to the East Coast, um, because it was started here and by the time it got to New York, a little bit different. That's why you have the Cousin Brucey sound that was still different on the East Coast. And there is a total difference between East Coast sure. and West Coast, more so after KHJ than before KHJ. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about what you said about the, the format carrying you, that did become a liability in the case of Morgan and Steele when they wanted to get more money and they left the station thinking that the ratings would drop and they didn't. <laughs> yeah, because anybody... <laughs> Technically, anybody could fill in for the jocks if they lose them. But, uh, and the fact that they had such good jocks to replace them. Charlie Toon is the one who went to mornings during that time. Right. And he is an amazing morning guy as well as a midday guy, too. 
Yeah. So, and, you know, all of this is chronicled in a little known book that was written by Ron Jacobs. And it is available as a digital copy. I've got a digital copy of it, and I go back and read it occasionally. I've been working very hard trying to get Ken Levine, who is a accomplished screenplay writer, to take Ron Jacobs' book and turn it into a major motion picture. Because oh, that would be. It's all there. I mean, there's dialogue yeah. there. There's everything there. Um, and if you had somebody that knew what they were doing and put it in, into a screenplay, I think it would be fabulous. And of all the people, he would know. Yeah, because he did it. Right. And the thing that's interesting about that book, too, is that it's almost a hard read because you are brought into it. It's written so well and the way the dialogue is done, you're sucked in and it's like you're part of the station and it's so intense that when you read it for a while, it almost hypes you up too much. Yeah, no, without a doubt. It's It shows how uh, passionate people were about radio yes. back then and how yes. the, the whole thing was about the competition between the radio stations, which you don't get anymore. The last time we had Dave on, we were talking about that dance that radio stations have to do with their own stations because they yeah. own so many stations. So, you know. And, you know, the funny thing, too, when you think about radio today, I'm not trying to really put down what they're doing now today, but I still have trouble if someone was to ask me, so what's the difference between my FM, you know, KBIG and Coast 103? And I'd have to say... I don't know. Yeah, and exactly. to a certain extent, Kiss FM. Kiss FM is a little more high energy, has some of the more sure. hip personalities, but music-wise, it overlaps quite a bit. So, what is yeah, the difference? Yeah, and, and back in the day, uh, they all had a little bit of a different sound to them. Yep. Uh, and yep. especially KRLA, they seemed like they were a little more hip yeah. in a lot of cases. So, yep. all right, well. Thank you for the history lesson, as always, and we will be back again next week with another edition of Radio Waves. Mm -hmm.